Welcome once again to Maple Grove Covenant Church. So glad that you're with us this morning as we continue our series entitled The Time of Your Life. And last week we kicked off the series uh, with a prayer, prayer of Moses found in Psalm 90. We ended our service together last Sunday holding up our cell phones or holding up our watches. And we prayed this simple prayer found in Psalm 90 verse 12 that says this, Teach us to number our days right that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And I don't know if you were here that last Sunday, but last Sunday we held up our watches and we, and we held up our cell phones and say, God, this is a prayer that we want to pray in light of you being the everlasting God, in light of us being held accountable for our limited amount of time on earth, in light of the brevity of our lives, that our life is short. It's like a blink in the eye. It's like a bump in the road. It's like guacamole. In light of how short our lives on earth are, teach us. Help us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to live as if our days are numbered. Give us wisdom on how to use our limited amount of time on earth. And some of you emailed me. Some of you came up to me and says, you know what? I put this passage of scripture, Psalm 90 verse 12, on my phone. And I also put it on my computer as wallpaper to remind me that when I'm getting a call for, for, for an appointment or when I'm getting an opportunity to go do something, I'm asking a new question. Instead of just asking the question, is there time for this in my calendar? And instead of just asking the question, do I want to do this? I'm asking a new question. That is, is it wise? Is this a wise use of my time? In light of God being the everlasting God, In light of God holding me accountable how I live my days on earth, in light of the fact that life is short, is this a wise thing to do with my limited amount of time? See, last week we learned this valuable lesson, and it's simply this, to live as if our days are numbered, because they are. And this week we're going to pick up on that theme, and we're going to read a story about two people. It's, it's a wonderful story about two people that, that have a value of time. One person has a wonderful sense of timing. One person knows the right words to say at the right time. The other person doesn't. The other person puts his foot in his mouth and he has a poor sense of timing. One person in this story is a woman of prayer. And she not only prays Psalm 90, but she asks God for wisdom and discernment in her daily decisions. The other person doesn't pray at all. Hardly pray. This one person is humble and courageous and, and, and understands that her time is limited. This other person is self-exalting and prideful. This is one person, she understands how to use her limited amount of time. She knows that she was made for such a time as this. And this other person doesn't understand the value of time. And he not only ends up wasting his time, but he ends up losing his life. Does anybody know who I might be talking about this morning? It's Esther and Haman. Let me hear you say Esther. Esther, let me hear you say Haman. Haman. See, both these people are perfect illustrations for how to value our time. One person, Esther, understood that her time is limited. This other person, Haman, 
did not understand the value of time. And he not only ended up wasting his time, but losing his life. And his story is found in the book of Esther. We're going to go way back in the Old Testament, about 12, about 2,500 years we're going, to go, we're going to read through the book of Esther because both these stories are found in the book of Esther and they both illustrate the value of time. One person has it and the other person doesn't. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to the book of Esther. It's page nine, I'm page 489 in your pew Bibles. And then you're going to find this wonderful story about two people that illustrate the value of time. Now, Esther as you may remember, is a Jewish girl and she's living in exile. And the people of God disobeyed God and they're now living in Persia. Because of their sin, God's disciplining them and they're living as foreigners in a foreign land. And Esther's not just a foreigner, not only a Jewish girl living in a foreign land, she's also an orphan. She lost her parents most, lo- most likely in a war and her cousin Mordecai is taking care of her. And in Esther chapter 2, verse 7... We are introduced to Esther, a woman that lived as if her days are numbered. Esther, chapter 2, verse 7. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, who, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. The girl, who was also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features. And Mordecai had taken her as her own daughter when her father and mother died. See, Esther was not only an orphan girl living in a foreign land, she's also beautiful. She was also lovely in form and features. She was attractive. And this is important for us to note because the king of Persia, Xerxes, is looking for a new queen. He just fired his old queen for defying his orders, and he created a beauty contest to find a new queen. And this beauty contest included his entire kingdom, 127 provinces. It stretched from India to the upper Nile. We're talking about a massive amount of territory. And each province brought in one girl as that, that would enter into this beauty contest to see which would be the new queen. Esther, as we learned, is beautiful. And she made it through the prelims and she's on her way to meet the king along with these other finalists. But before she meets the king, she goes through some preparations. She gets ready for her first date with the king. Now, I don't know how long it takes for women to get ready for their first date. I don't know if it takes 90 minutes, 60 minutes, a couple minutes. I don't know. I asked my wife how long it took for her to get ready for our first date, and she didn't really answer. She gave about five minutes. You know, it it wasn't all that much time that she spent to get ready for our first date. But according to the Bible... Esther took 12 months to get ready for her first date with Xerxes. She was forced to complete 12 months of beauty treatment, six months with oil and more, and six months of perfumes. In Esther 2.12, we read this. Before a young woman's turn came to go to King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil and myrrh and six months with perfumes and cosmetics. Can you imagine the pressure that this young girl was under? 12 months of preparations, 12 months of pressure to look externally beautiful, 12 months to wonder, am I beautiful? Uh, Is he going to like me? 
12 months of questioning where my worth and value rests. Her whole life, her whole future was all wrapped around how she looked. And according to the story of Esther, she looked good. She won the beauty contest. She found favor in the king's eyes. She's the most beautiful woman in the world. And she has this royal wedding. She, 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 all the people gather around to see the beauty queen. They pile in the streets and they wave and they look to see Esther, the new beauty queen. But unlike Kate's wedding, Esther did not meet her husband in college. And she was not chosen because of her smarts or because of her personality. She was simply chosen because of her beauty. She was beautiful. She was the top woman in the king's harem. And after Esther wins this beauty contest. After she is made the king's husband, we're introduced to this other character, this man that loses track of time, this man that doesn't understand his limited amount of time on earth, this man that is quite prideful, quite arrogant, and he's a rich man. He's a powerful man. He's the king's right-hand man, and his name is Haman. And he's the king's chief of staff. And the Bible tells us that he's rich, He's powerful and he's very arrogant because he has people bow down and worship him. And many people do. Many people see King Haman or they see Haman and they bow down and they worship him. And they acknowledge him with honor and, and with respect. And, not, and just about everybody does, but not everyone. One person does it, and that's Mordecai, Esther's stepfather. Esther's cousin does not bow down to worship Haman because of his faith in God. He does not worship Haman. He does not give Haman the honor that Haman demands, and that enrages Haman. That, that makes him so angry he can't stand it. And Haman not only wants to punish Mordecai for not bowing down and worship him, he wants to punish his whole family and his whole ethnic group, all the Jewish people. And, and, and he takes, Haman takes his limited amount of time he takes his limited amount of resources and he uses it to build himself up by destroying and seeking to punish the Jewish people. He misuses, he abuses his power. See, and unfortunately, the king says yes without thinking about Haman's request. He merely agrees with Haman, his right-hand man, to destroy the people of God. In Esther chapter 3, an edict is given by the king, written by Haman, to destroy God's people. Exodus 3.13 says this. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews. Young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month. The whole lot, the whole Jewish people were destroyed or, or, or ordered to be destroyed. And Mordecai heard this. Mordecai heard the news. Mordecai read the edict. So he went to the only person that he could think of that might be able to save the people of God. He went to the new beauty queen. He, he went to the top harem girl. He went to Esther, his adopted daughter, his cousin, and he challenged Esther. He asked Esther to do something that, that is hard for us to comprehend. He asked Esther to go to the most powerful planet powerful man on the planet, and, and beg for mercy. To, to ask the most powerful man on the planet not to annihilate her people. And Esther doesn't want to do it. Esther's scared. Esther's confused. Esther's not sure what to do because Esther knows 
that it's a capital offense to approach the king without being summoned. Esther knows that it probably wasn't the smartest thing to do to, to tell the king that he's not doing a very good job when she just first got there. Esther knew what happened to Queen Vashti just a year or two earlier when she disobeyed the king's orders. And not only that, Esther, Esther's relationship with the king is not going well. The king had not summoned her for over 30 days, meaning that although they're husband and wife, they're not spending a lot of time together. And that the king's first attraction to Esther is slowly waning. And Esther doesn't want to go to the king. Esther doesn't want to risk her life for the sake of others by approaching the king and asking him to save her people. And Mordecai responds to Esther's logical refusal to approach the king with these words. In verse 13, Do not think that because you are in the king's house that you, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. If you remain silent, you will die. Not only you, but your family will die. And someone else will save God's people. And Mordecai challenges Esther to understand her time, to understand her life. And he says these most pointed Words, these words worth memorizing. Verse 14, he says this, And who knows but that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. But who knows, Esther, that you have come to this position of royalty for such a time as this. Maybe you're not here just to have a nice place to sleep and a nice a nice bed and a nice food. Maybe you're here not just to be the most attractive woman on the planet. Maybe you're not here just to be a beauty queen. Maybe, Esther, you were placed in this position of power and this position of influence to save the people of God, to bring God's kingdom to earth. See, maybe God has a mission for your life that's bigger than your understanding of your limited amount of of time on earth. He says, Esther, don't let success cause you to misunderstand God's mission for your life. Don't let what the world says about women blind you from God's anointing on your life. See, Mordecai challenges Esther to consider the timing of her position and the opportunity to save the nation. And Esther responds, Esther responds to her stepfather. Esther responds to her cousin Mordecai. She listens to him. And she responds to his challenge this way. Verse 15, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days and night or a day. And I I and my maids will fast as you do. Call a fast. Pray for me. This is a very difficult decision. This is a very life-threatening situation. Pray for me. I don't know what you do when you're faced with a big decision. I don't know what you do when you have a big decision about school or about work or about your family or about your finances. But it's very instructive to us this morning that Esther prays and she fasts. And she calls her friends and she calls her family. She says, would you pray for me? Will you fast for me? Because this is a very big deal. 
And then after praying for three days, after calling this fast, Esther says these words. When it's done, I will go to the king. And even though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Do you hear the courage in Esther's voice? Do you hear the strength? If I perish, I perish. Even though it's against the law, even though the king doesn't even want to talk to me, even though I'm going to risk my life, I understand my limited amount of time on earth. I understand that I only have one life to live. And if I lose my life, giving it for the sake of others, so be it. If I perish, I perish. Do you hear the courage? Do you hear the strength? Do you hear the wonderful sense of timing that this young woman has? Understanding her opportunity in this life. See, oftentimes in our culture, oftentimes in our Christian subculture, we call our women, we call our girls to participate in beauty pageants instead of rescue missions. And we isolate women. We sometimes patronize women. And we isolate our women to be, and we consider them to be a beauty to rescue rather than a person on a rescue mission. But that's who Esther is. Esther is a person on a rescue mission. God calls her to use her limited amount of time to save the men and the women and the children of Israel. And if you're a woman here today, and if you're a young woman here, and you sense that God's leading you, God's calling you to give yourself to something bigger than yourself, don't let what the world says about women hold you back. Don't, don't think for a minute that you're simply a beauty to rescue, because according to the story of Esther, you're not a beauty to rescue. You are a beautiful person on a rescue mission. That's God's call on your life. And if God's doing something inside of you as a young woman, by all sakes, follow that leading of God. Don't let the limitations of our culture distract you from doing what God's called you to do. You are not a beauty to rescue. You are a person on a rescue mission. Because in Esther chapter 5, verse 1, we read this. On that third day, Esther, she put on her royal robes and she stood in the inner court of the palace. In front of the king's hall, the king was sitting in his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. And when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court... He was pleased with her and he held out to her the golden scepter, which was in his hand. And so Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And then the king asked, what is it, Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom and it will be given to you. Now, we got to realize that it wasn't a real response of the king. It's kind of like asking Esther, hey, Esther, what would you like? What's on your mind? It wasn't actually you're going to get half the kingdom. But Esther understands this moment in time. Esther understands her limited amount of time on earth, her limited influence, and she responds this way, verse 4. She says, If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Esther invites the king to a party. Now, now we know that the king hasn't been invited to a party that he never said no to. He's always going to a party. I mean, the first chapter of Esther, his party is like six months long. See, Esther knows the mind of the man. He knows that the doorway through a man's heart is through the stomach. And, he re- and she realizes how to convince this man, how, how to come alongside this man. And so she invites him to a party and to invite Haman as well. And at that party, I'm going to share my petition with you. I'm going to share my request to you. And so while they're drinking, while they're eating, 
the king asks Esther, what is it? What is that you want? And Esther replies in verse 8. I love her response. She says this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to another banquet. I love Esther's response. It's so tactical. It's so tactful. I mean, she has this wonderful sense of timing. She's not forcing the issue. She simply invites the the king to a second party. She has this wonderful sense of time, this wonderful sense of knowing what to say when. See, by agreeing to coming to the second party, it's almost as if the king is agreeing to her request. See, Esther has this wonderful sense of timing, but Haman doesn't. Haman doesn't understand his limited amount of time on earth. Haman doesn't understand that he's going to be held accountable for how he lives his life on earth. Haman doesn't understand the brevity of life. See, Haman is overly concerned about this one guy, this one guy that won't worship him, this one guy named Mordecai. In verse 9, Haman went out of that party happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he would neither rise, neither rose, nor short favor in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. He's still upset with this one guy. He's still overly concerned about this one person that won't bow down and worship him. He's got all sorts of wealth. He's got all sorts of influence. But he's using his wealth and his influence for himself. And, and, and he's overly concerned and he wants to punish Mordecai. So he gathers his family, he gathers his friends and he huddles them up and he has this emotional rant and he tells them how much he's mad at Mordecai and he tells them that it's against the law and, and, he's, and he's just unloading his emotion, his rage against Mordecai and his desire to punish him. And what I find fascinating is that no one ever says to Haman, get over it. No one ever says to Haman, I think you're wrong, Haman. No one ever says to Haman, Haman, I think you're really wasting your time. You're overly concerned about this one guy not bowing down to worship you, where most people do, and you have all sorts of power and influence. No one ever says that to Haman. In fact, his family, his friends, his wife say just the opposite. His wife, according to the story, uh, suggested that he build a gallows 75 feet high and have Mordecai hang the very next day from those gallows. So he did. He built these gallows. He used his limited amount of time, his limited amount of influence, his money and his power to destroy that one person causing him so much anguish. And I I wish I could tell you the rest of the story. I wish I could tell you how the king couldn't sleep this one night. And so he had the, the annuals read to him and how he realized that he didn't honor Mordecai. I wish I could tell you how the, the very gallows that, that Haman built to kill Mordecai were they actually the gallows that he himself died in. I wish I could tell you how Esther did finally come to the king and the king responded to her request. And they not only saved the nation, but all the people around the kingdom of Persia recognized the God, the God of the Jews. And this is powerful story. I wish I could tell you the rest of the details of this story. You're going to have to read them on your own. But for this morning, our focus is on just these two people, Esther and Haman. These two people that illustrate the value of time. And the contrast between Haman and Esther is so instructive for us this morning as we seek 
to live as if our days are numbered. Because Esther had this wonderful sense of timing. Esther knew what to say when, and she said it well. But Haman was putting his foot in his mouth. Haman did not know what to say. Esther was a woman of prayer. She prayed Psalm 90, 12. She asked God for him. She prayed. But Haman didn't pray at all. Haman didn't take his request before. Esther was a woman of humility. Esther was a woman of courage. And Haman was a man of pride. He was a man of arrogance. But the, but the thing that distinguishes these two people the most is simply this. Esther had a Mordecai and Haman didn't. Esther had someone to speak into her life. You were made for more. You were made for such a time as this. And Haman didn't. Haman had friends. Haman had advisors. Haman had people to give him advice. But they were all yes men and yes women. They were all building up his pride and his arrogance. None of them said to him, Haman, I think you're wrong. I think you're wasting your time. See, Esther had a Mordecai. And Haman didn't. Esther had a cousin. Esther had a stepfather. Esther had a friend to speak words of truth into her life, and that made all the difference in the world and how she spent her limited amount of time. See, last week, we prayed this beautiful prayer, verse, Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And I hope you prayed that prayer. I hope you pray that prayer every day. I hope it's on your phone. I hope it's on your calendar. I hope you're asking questions of wisdom. But this week, we learned that in order to live as if our days are numbered, in order to make the most amount, in order to maximize our limited amount of time on earth, we not only need to pray a prayer, we need people like Mordecai in our lives. We need people with wisdom. We need people with discernment. We need people with prayer. We need Mordecai in our lives. So you got to remember, Esther did not want to go in front of that king. Esther was scared of that. She knew that the king didn't even want to see her. And yet she prayed and she fasted. And she listened to the words of Mordecai. You were made for this. For such a time as this, God's calling you to do something courageous with your life for the sake of others. See, sometimes I think we misunderstanding, we misunderstand the source of wisdom. Sometimes I think after we pray that prayer, God, give us a heart of wisdom. Uh, we, we think that there's something just going to happen into our mind. It's going to pop into our head. Or, or we're going to read a book and we're just going to see something wise come out of that. And although those two avenues of wisdom may happen, more often than not, it comes from the person that knows you, that loves you, that knows the context for which you live, that understands God and speaks into your life. It's the Mordecai. It's the Mordecai of our lives. It's the people, it's our parents, it's our grandparents, it's our aunts, it's our uncles, it's our friends that help us make these decisions so that we can live as if our days are numbered so that we can have the time of our lives. So this morning, I just want to ask you a couple questions. As we close our time together this morning, you might want to write these questions down as you seek to live out your limited amount of time on earth. The questions are simply this. Do you have a Mordecai? Do you have somebody in your life, a parent, a spouse, a friend, a co-worker, 
that will speak into your life, that knows you, that loves you, has an understanding of who God is, understands your context, and is courageous enough to say you're wrong, or courageous enough to say, hey, you were made for more. Do you have a Mordecai in your life? And if you don't, would you be willing to find one? Would you be willing to find someone to speak words of truth? Because if you want to live as if this is your days or number, if you want to have the time of your life, you've got to have a Mordecai. You've got to have someone like Mordecai to speak into your life. Do you have a Mordecai? And my second question is simply this. Do you listen to the Mordecai? Do you listen to your parents or your grandparents or your friends or your coworkers or your spouse? Do you listen to the people in your life that are speaking words truth? that may be sometimes hard to hear. I think of so many people throughout my journey that have spoken words to me that have been hard to hear, but they made all the difference in the decisions that I was making. And I'm so thankful for the Mordecais in my life that helped me live with an understanding that my time is limited. Do you have a Mordecai? And are you listening to the wise people in your life? And then my final question is simply this. Would you be willing to be a Mordecai in someone else's life? Would you be willing to step into courageously into the lives of your family, of your friends, of your neighbors, and to speak words of courage and strength? To say, hey, remember, life is more important than just making money. Life is more important than just doing your little things. God's called you for such a time as this to do something courageous for the sake of of others, Would you be willing to be a Mordecai, a mentor in the life of someone else? Do you have a Mordecai? Do you listen to the Mordecais? Would you be willing to be a Mordecai? See, Esther was a woman of character and strength. Esther was, was a woman with a wonderful sense of timing. Esther had tremendous faith. She was a woman of prayer. But Esther had a Mordecai. And Haman didn't. And that made all the difference in the world. And if we want to live lives of wisdom, if we want to live with our limited amount of times and to live well, if we want to have the time of our lives, we have to have a Mordecai. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of Esther, the example of these two people that had a value of time. One person lived as if her days were numbered and the other person did not. And I pray, God, that as we reflect upon the story of Haman and Esther, that you would do a work in us. That you would help us to discern our limited amount of time. And that you would help us not only listen to the Mordecais of our lives, but to become the people like Mordecai and speak words of truth to the people in our lives. God, I thank you for your word and for this time. And I pray all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.